Volume 2, Chapter 4 of Evelyn, or A Heart Unmasked, a novel by Anna Cora Mowat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 4 And for such goodness can I return nothing but some hot tears that sting mine eyes, some sighs that if not breathed would swell my heart to stifling Coleridge. From Catherine Bolton to Elizabeth Montague, November 7th. This world is full of trouble, cry the world's systematic malcontents, and amen, respond both young and old. Yet there is something ungrateful in the reflection and unwise in the admission. Full of trouble it may be, but it is replete with joy also, joy for which the keenness of our zest would be deadened save for the contrast of affliction. And may it not be that those very afflictions are hidden blessings purifying and perfecting our nature? May they not give fresh impulse to the current of our lives, which would become stagnant but for these troubling of the waters? It was not, as you will naturally imagine, the misfortunes of my friends in Union Place which drew me from this reflection. I was thinking of the unhappy Blanche. Her health is partially restored, but she is feeble. Her energies are paralyzed, and she broods over her wretched fate in silent sadness of spirit. When I converse with her, and try to elevate her thoughts, and to awaken a sense of the providential care of him who orders all things, she looks at me with vacant eyes, which gradually fill with tears. Her head sinks upon her bosom, and she makes no reply to my words. Although I cannot rouse her from her apathetic state, she obeys my simplest request with the affectionate submission of a child. Yet there is no meekness in her humility. Her lovely face wears no look of resignation. Its expression is still uncalm and joyless. She alarmed me yesterday by an unwanted burst of passion. Within the last few days, she has frequently requested my permission to walk out. Watching her from the window, I observe that she hurries through the street, closely veiled, and gazing into the face of every person whom she meets, as though she was seeking some familiar countenance. Yesterday, she remained absent an unusual length of time. I was sitting in my chamber, quietly reading, when she ran into the room with her hat falling back upon her shoulders, her hair dishevelled, and her dress disordered. Sinking at my feet, she exclaimed, I have seen him. Thank God I have found him. Whom have you seen, Blanche? inquired I. My father's murderer. He is here. I have found him. For some minutes she remained with her face buried in her hands, her slight form quivering with agitation. Then, gradually raising her head, she gazed with a most piteous expression on my face, and said, Look at me. What am I now? 
two short years ago, so gay, so innocent, so recklessly happy. My father and I, we were all the world to each other. I was his only child, and I had no mother. Such pleasant hours, such happy days. Who destroyed them? Who poisoned my mind and crushed every noble impulse in my heart, seized upon a transient moment of weakness to gain his own evil ends, and made me what I am, an object for scorn and hatred, the murderer of my own father, my poor old father. I was blind, mad, spellbound by a demon, or I could have never left him. I spoke to her, but she did not notice my remark, and continued, without addressing her words to me, how he looked at me just before his eyes closed for the last time, so piteously, so reproachfully, but oh, so lovingly. And then he frowned, a painful frown, and then, oh, then he smiled. He only gasped once, gasped very gently, but I knew. No, no, I did not know. I could not believe that he would never smile, never even gasp again. His hand grew cold, so cold, and so stiff, and his forehead was like marble. But I kissed it and tried to warm him. I put my arms about him, for my blood was on fire. But he was too icy. I saw that I had killed him. Yet he spoke after he was dead. Did you know that the dead could speak? He cried out to me in a low, deep voice that made all my veins creep, and he told me to pursue his murderer. I have pursued him. I have found him. I saw him today. I stole behind him. I whispered a word in his ear, and he started and grew as white as my father in his shroud. Keep thy oath. Keep thy oath. My dead father's voice shrieked out again. Father, I will keep it. I was shocked and terrified, for it was more than possible that Blanche, in her half-deranged state of mind, might seek a fearful vengeance upon her betrayer. But my horror was not alone awakened, let me confess it, by the crime she would commit, for that betrayer was, I cannot name him, I would fain disbelieve that of which I am too certain. Since I could not at that moment, and during her excitement, convince her of the sinfulness of her projected revenge, I thought that I might influence her by appealing to her sense of gratitude towards myself. Listen to me, Blanche, said I. I have been a friend to you when you had no friends. I have done what I could for you, have I not? You owe me some gratitude? Much. Oh, how much! You will then listen to me, and if I ask it, repay me? I have nothing to give to you but tearful thanks, and the thanks of a broken heart cannot reward you. If, Blanche, if the one who has injured you so deeply should prove to be a friend, a brother, one very dear to me, if my heart would break, if any evil should reach him, would not gratitude banish your dreams of revenge? But he can be nothing to you. 
suppose that I could prove to you that he was. Without answering me, she started up, for she had been crouching at my feet, and raising her finger and bending her head with the action of one who listens, she whispered, Hush, hush. Her dark eyes flashed with a wild light. Every limb quivered, and her miniature form seemed to gain height and majesty. My father's voice, she cried, thy oath, keep thy oath. It was vowed beside my coffin. I heard it in my shroud. Father, I will keep it. Though every angel in heaven should cry out, thou shalt not. As she uttered these words, she sank upon her knees, with one arm uplifted, as though she was renewing the vow already too solemnly breathed. I tried to console myself with the belief that as these moments of excitement and hallucination passed away, the horrible intentions which she then entertained would vanish with them. I also determined to watch her closely, that she might find no opportunity to execute her maniac purpose. The violence of her agitation had completely exhausted her. I took her hand and raised her from her knees, for she was too feeble to regain her feet without my assistance. I thought it dangerous to risk the renewal of her emotion by any further conversation, and induced her to seek repose. She held my hand tightly within her own, as I seated myself beside her couch, and once or twice, as she kissed it with fervor, it was moistened with her scalding tears. I did not leave her until she slept or seemed to sleep, and then I sent for Amy to consult with her and communicated what had transpired. End of chapter 4